everyone. And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, uh, bashing us, fuck him. <laughs>
way too much time. I do believe it's their fault. They could come back and say something different. I don't believe it was much better than if they would have took the deal. I don't believe you got anything differently. I actually believe you, you took a negative. They, they're, they're touting. They never took zeros. They, they've been taking negatives for 23 years, not 24. And we'll talk about that. Uh, but we're not going to do it on this podcast. And, um, you know, Eric, what do, what do you want to talk about today? Well, this is 265 Police Live brought to you by New York's Finance Retirement Filter Podcast, where we talk about police events that are going on on throughout the country, news segments, and our expert opinion. And our expert expert opinion is the analysis of why are cops being why are cops being disrespected, especially within the NYPD. Why are they being disrespected publicly? How do we get here? Why? So John, let's start out. I know we have a good clip to do this. What are your thoughts? Let's start out with a clip. We got uh, two videos. They're both it's both a, a clip of a segment from Inside Edition. And they took place, I believe, in like 2018 or 2019, uh, starting with the water bucket incidents where we seen, I believe it took place in the 7-3 precinct in the confines of PSA 2, where two officers were doused with water. They put their heads down, they turned around and walked away. Inside Edition does a report on this. And uh, we're going to play that video. We're going to talk about it. We're going to end that with the last words from Monaghan. And then we're going to play a separate video from the now chief of the department, Chief Madgery, and see. And then we're going to we're going to the, the speak on our analysis of both of the both of those. So here we go. It's a full scale manhunt for the men caught on camera drenching police officers with water and hurling a bucket at a cop's head. The humiliating videos have sent shockwaves through America. Disgusting and depressing. When I saw this, you're appalled by the obvious, right? I can't believe people are doing that to police officers. Just The cops in the videos did not make any arrests, sparking a debate over what they should have done. And headlines like, when cops get disrespected without consequence, a city falls apart. A high-ranking NYPD chief had these stern words. Any cop who thinks that that's all right, that they can walk away from something like that, maybe should reconsider whether or not Today, we're learning more about the officers at the center of the firestorm. Oh, they not stopping! Oh, my God! The two cops who were doused and mocked in Brooklyn are both reportedly rookies. And when they returned to the precinct, they never mentioned the incident to their fellow officers for fear of being teased. I could, I could spend hours, days, probably weeks or even months talking about this. Just this one episode here. And I'd like to reverse engineer. I'd like to start with the ending before we actually talk about how we got to this point. But I'd like to analyze what former Chief Terrence Monaghan said here. And I agree with what he's saying. If you allow this, you should not be in this profession. But does he really believe that? Or was that his stance and his stance changed so that he could actually placate to his, his, polit his political leaders and exhibit weak management, weak leadership? Because ultimately, he eventually took a knee at the post-George uh, post Floyd Bryant's which means an act of surrender. So did you want the cops here to do an act of surrendering or you wanted them to meet violence with violence? I just put out a post re uh, recently. Cops have to be warriors. They have to be prepared for battle. Ultimately, to protect themselves and to protect the residents of New York City, they have to be warriors prepared for battle. And they have to be dangerous intellectually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And they have to be ready for the call at any time. And here just exhibits that the cops weren't ready. They were meek, timid, and docile. You could see them walking in small steps. It was indicated that they were to be preyed on. And ultimately, they lost. This was a lose-lose situation for them. And the problem is, 
we lose on a bigger level. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it, I think it highlights the the overall mission of the police department that they the, those officers don't know what they're out there to do that day. They don't understand how they should have interacted in that situation. They are fearful of someone being there to stand up for them because of the mixed messages receiving from the same person who's telling them that's unacceptable. Don't be a police officer, but he's not telling them what a police officer is. And I think that's the major, major problem. And especially him, his time in, in leadership, there was two different Terrence Monahans. It was the Terrence Monahan go out on broken windows theory and stopped everybody and use broken windows, then start as New York City crime falls, we continue to play this number game and cause a rift with the community because of him consistently pushing, consistently, consistently pushing income staff for numbers, and touches and summonses. At times, maybe they weren't warranted. And then under Bill de Blasio, and then under Bill de Blasio, he's a completely different, he's a completely different person. We know that that policing minor crimes doesn't keep us safe. We know that policing marijuana doesn't keep us safe. And I'm like, I don't know any of those things. From what I know, I watched New York City go from a city of crime to the safest big city in the world. And now he's telling us that what he did for much longer than I did and the work that him and, and, and all that came before us did, and then specifically mine and Eric's uh, tenure, what we did to transform New York City to the safest big city in the world is was not right, was not correct, was not moral, was somehow illegal. Um, when I don't believe it to be any of those things. I think I think actually it's it's much needed today. And and these officers are stepping into that time. And you know, maybe they're even in leadership now because this was a few years ago. And that's a scary thing because it's just more of the blind leading the blind where we don't have a mission and and a uh, uh, and a focus on what should have took place in that day. I know myself, I know you Eric, we would have moved in to make the arrest if we felt intimidated because there were too many people we would have called the car we would arrest them for disorderly conduct violence and tumultuous behavior i would expect that they would resist arrest and that situation turned violently so i would try to outnumber them and the other issue is that today police officers are afraid because of the disciplinary matrix and because of the overzealous ccrb who is not performing proper investigations and not out there to seek the truth only out there to penalize our officers. They and and this has been led to a huge deterrent in people taking proactive police work. But even here, this wasn't proactive. This was brought to them. They should have handled it. They didn't. I think these cops ultimately were in a lose lose situation. And, but you said that this could turn violent, and I agree. I I agree. It could progressively get more violent. But my opinion, based on that video, that was an act of violence. And I believe that violence was already presented. The act of dousing the police officers was the act of violence. That was, that was an initiation. That was an act, I believe, to see the perception that the cops would take and how they would act on it, which gives the insight for adversaries to understand the mindset where police officers are and also it gives them the ability to know how far they could take the next step because this was water well we we, we assume it's water it could have been urine it could have been anything it could have been wastewater it could have been from sewage we don't know what it was but this was an act of violence but make no mistake about it when these cops turned their back and they walked away we lost because the next time something happens like this and this was 2009 and 2019 this is progressively getting worse the next time it could be bricks 
The next time, it could be firearms. We don't know what it is, but this progressively gets worse. And when I see these cops walking away, meek, Tim, and docile in their small steps with their shoulders slumped down, you could see they were completely unsure what to do. And in their mindset, because they're new, they may not understand. They may think they lost just that moment right there. But ultimately, we lost a battle for upcoming events on violence with police officers in other situations. Violence has to be met with violence. Our police officers have to be warriors. They have to be prepared for battle. It's just a, mat a matter of how much we're going to lose. If that was you or, or, or myself, we would have turned around. First of all, I don't believe we would have turned our backs anyway. But we would have met that and we would have met the violence with violence. We would have called for units and we would have moved in for arrest. And yes, they would have resisted and probably attempted to assault officers. And it would not be a pretty sight. And we would have had numerous, numerous adversaries in custody. But we would have quelled something so that we could prevent it from happening later on. And yes, we would have lost. We would have gotten civilian complaints. They would have been substantiated, but we could have been facing for charges. But I tell you what, I was always prepared to put my men and women before I put myself. So if it meant to quell that incident there, to bring that to a calm so it doesn't happen on future incidents to happen to police officers, I would be proud to stand in a moral principle and get those civilian complaints so that my men and women are not attacked on future incidents. Absolutely. And, you know, you are the expert. You're out there that day. It's happening to you. you. Will you be criticized eight ways to Sunday? Absolutely. Your sergeant's going to come. The inspection unit's going to come. IB's going to come. Duty captain's going to come. CO's going to come. The lieutenant's going to come. The standards and professional quality assurance. Everyone and their mother's going to come. Everyone and their mother's going to say what they would have did. But they weren't in that situation. You were. So you're the expert. And if, if, if you're out on New York City streets today and you feel you're in a lose-lose situation and you're afraid to act to defend yourself, I mean, honestly, it's time to leave because I always said that to myself. If I ever felt I couldn't keep myself safe, I would no longer go out on the New York City streets. Um, or if I was unwilling to do the things because of all of this progressive legislation that was coming down. I didn't reach that point in my career. I did reach the point where I did see it as a as I, I'm the only one with anyone to lose. So I went administrative. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I did 13, 14 years on the street. Nobody gives a shit about me. Nobody cares about anything. Nobody cares all the nights, all the sleepless nights, all the time, the, the, the places I was away from my family. I might as well go where I could actually have a normal life and live. I, I think I did enough. And that's where that type of messaging mixed messaging and all of the the nonsensical legislation that was coming down and the policy and the training led me to and it led many like myself to um and eventually there were guys though the very few like eric dim who fought back against that and stayed out on the street look what it did to him he's the most complained about cop for going out there and keeping new york city residents safe people will look at his 50a and say oh he's a dirty cop he's corrupt he should be fired when really we sat down, we listened to the stories about Eric Dim, and we listened to all the complaints he has and why he got them and the incidents he took place in. You're going to more than 99.9% .9 of the times you're going to say, Eric Dim's my guy. I want him on, on my streets going to keep the people in New York City safe. So that's, you know, that's the problem that we're seeing here in progressive New York City. Um, and there is a time to run. I've ran in my career. People are throwing stuff off, uh, off, off roofs at us. I ran. You know, I never ran when someone's right on my shoulder. I'm not going to turn around and let you be either where you're going to give me a shot or one of those things. You got to move back. You move back. You want to keep Mabel back. You start keeping keep back. You get on that radio. You call other cars. You outnumber people. 
You have the resources. You're the New York City Police Department. They used to tell it to me and Eric all the time. Biggest gang, biggest gang in New York City. We still are. Use that radio. You can have helicopters up in two seconds. You got 50 cars at your disposal. Use it. Don't be afraid to do it. Don't feel like you have to square off and face off with someone. But you have to put that situation to a successful close. If you need bigger guys around you, you need other resources around you, get them there. That's why I always say that our men and women need to be warriors. And it is a misconception of what a warrior is by this leftist public ideology of what a warrior is. And they look down upon the, the ideals of police officers being warriors. A warrior is not necessarily savage. And that's what they correlated. To me, a warrior is someone that, who's dangerous intellectually, emotionally, emotionally, and physically. And that's what our police officers need to be. Men and women, they need to have those masculine traits to be dangerous intellectually. They have to be prepared that if an incident like that happens and they're attacked, that they are ready to use all available resources at their disposal because they are intellectually, they have the mindset to understand how to have a strategic plan, get aviation, get emergency services, get all the resources available at their, at, at their ability to call in a moment's notice emotionally to be able to attach themselves for the, from that situation and to come up with a plan and to figure out what exactly is going on here. What's the grassroots of the problem here? What are they trying to accomplish? They have to be physically prepared to endure the violence that they're about to meet because they have already had an act of violence against them. Let's the public doesn't understand. It's not just water that could immobilize their firearms that could put them also in, in a position where they're slippery, they can't grab onto anyone to make any arrest. I, I believe that there's much more than just water. I mean, these police officers were put in a vulnerable position. Our police officers have to be pressure tested and ready. They have to be dangerous. They have to be ready to act when it's appropriate. And they have to be ready for garrison when that time is appropriate. But this was an act, an act of battle, if you ask me. They, they need to be ready for violence. But their mindset and the way they walked away tells me that they don't have a vision. There's no leadership. They don't know which way to go. They don't know which way to turn. They, they were never told, as you and I were told when we got on this job, that no one comes in within one arm's distance, that you have to protect yourself. Because if you don't protect yourself, you're not protecting the other cops that get into a situation after you. You are, you are definitely controlling the climate of how it proceeds going further. But shame on former uh former chief here, Terrence Monaghan, to make that statement, and then in the post-George Floyd riots, he takes a knee and surrenders. And this is completely two polar opposite, opposite stances, positions that he's taken in showing the public how the police department is supposed to respond. You are the leader. You're the one who these cops are supposed to look up to. And, and they don't know which way to go. And, they, and it's not their fault. It's the training. It's the men and women that, that we're hiring. And it's also it's, it's the legislation. It's all these conglomerate of ideals that have been put together that have gotten us to this point. Yeah, well, when they moved away from broken windows policing, the which is the enforcement of minor crimes, that and, and the, the rationale behind that is we'll enforce minor crimes to deter the bigger ones. If we break the kids up on the corner that are drinking that night, they don't assault anyone that night. Nobody gets robbed. Nobody gets stabbed. Nobody gets shot. Maybe those kids that are smoking marijuana have a gun on them. Like, And that's how we prevent larger crimes. And they went to what they call precision policing, right? It was community <laughs> policing first, but they couldn't really describe what that model was. 
they, they had a terrible time of describing it. And I'll play uh, the now chief of the department, Jeffrey Madry, when he was the chief of community affairs. And listen to him describe it. It's, it's pathetic because they don't even know what it is. But yet they're on the news camera saying it. Um, so when they, when they switch to that, then they move towards, oh, it's precision policing, which is saying it's a focus on major crime. But that is a focus on past acts. There's no deterrent for, for, for crime in the future. There's no deterrent to keep these kids out of gangs, to keep these kids away from guns, to keep these kids away from drugs, to stop these incidents from happening. Precision policing to them is policing crimes after they happen. By us, by us going out into high crime neighborhoods, into targeted areas with targeted individuals, and enforcing minor crimes, that is how you prevent larger crimes from even happening in the first place. There is a place for there is a place for precision policing, but that would be done by specialized units, not the overall mission of the police department. And 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 at the same token, there's uh, there is a there is a mission for community policing as well, where we're cops and community together and building trust with the community and outreach to the community. But that is not the overall mission of the police department. And that is what they switched it to. All of those three things should have been operating at one time to keep New York City streets safe. John, everything that you're saying is 100% correct here. And what you're saying about precision policing, I, I, I agree. I think the shift, when Mayor de Blasio got into office and we got away from the intrusive policing, I used to say, look what they're doing here, right? With this neighborhood coordination officer program, you know, it looks it looks sexy. It's a sexy program. It's supposed to be the B cop and in housing. It was their development. They would get to know the people there. If it's in a precinct, they know the businesses in their area. But that's great. I mean, honestly, that's for sure. But they're not really penetrating the agile community. It's 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 only it's only what's on the surface. So this ideal of precision policing was to have major cases. Right. But we're not out there in the public doing intrusive police work. This is all stuff that's going on. Behind closed doors, major casework, narcotics buys, where no one's actually being arrested. And these are cases that take over time. And eventually they would have, you would see these blanket cases of 20, 30 gang members being arrested, part of some packet here that would go maybe federal or state, some type of conspiracy case. And it sounds great and sexy, but a lot of times these things fall apart. They're being arrested. But over time, while these cases are going on, no one's doing intrusive police work. We have these cops out there doing what it's called community police work hugging people it's great nice gestures giving out ice cream hugs and kisses great gestures but not good police work the boots on the ground need to be doing intrusive police work while these cases are going on it needs to coincide with each other because while these cases are going on if there's no intrusive police work the quality of life for the residents is broken and we talk about the broken windows theory well the life for the residents is broken because people are running amok and there's no consequence and we see it here when the adversary can commit an act of violence against two police officers and there's no action taken, immediate action, we have to strike while the iron's hot. If there was no immediate action taken, there's no impact and they don't feel it. If we make the arrest several days later, it doesn't have the same impact. Those police officers also were told by Chief Manager, which you're going to see in, in a clip here, that they showed restraint. We should not compliment them for showing restraint. They should be told that our police officers have a right to defend themselves. And I will give credit to this. Ray Kelly said at a time when he was the commissioner under, under Michael Bloomberg as the mayor, he said that police officers have a right to defend themselves. 
And that's what we should be here doing here. Police officers need to defend themselves because ultimately they're defending the entire department and they're defending the entire city. But when two police officers walk away, meek, timid, and docile with water doused on them, they're hurting the entire city. And I don't blame them. I blame, I, I, I blame the weak management that allowed this and didn't train them and prepare them for battle. No, it's well said. I mean, it's well said. I mean, that's that's exactly what is going on. They're unprepared to deal with it. They don't know what it is because the mission is off. I mean, let, let me play this clip. I got I to gotta just play this clip because it, like, when I hear this, it makes me wonder, like, what should you be doing out there? Now, again, this was in the past. We've since changed. We've shifted again to this precision policing. But this was the message at this time. They should have been arrested right then and there on our spot. But our officers, again, showing respect to the community and, and showed great restraint. What would possess somebody to do this to a police officer? You know what? We've been building trust over the last four years. But again, building trust and building relationships doesn't mean disrespect. Two other arrests were made in this case of a young woman who was being soaked with buckets of water. She pleaded with cops for help, but they appeared to sit it out in their car. Going water is not a Well, it turns out they... So, you know, we move away from intrusive police work, like Eric likes to say. But in these scenarios, what, what happens when we move away from the intrusive police work is we lose the omnipresence that's provided from that type of work. So in the in these cases, this isn't it isn't it has nothing to do with being intrusive. These crimes were brought to the officers. And and because the crimes were brought to the officers, because we have no omnipresence, so there's zero fear of the police. There's zero fear of even the interaction that day. Like, oh, I'm gonna get arrested, I'm gonna get a summons, maybe I spend the night in jail. Whatever happens, there's zero fear of that. I mean, we all know what's going to happen in New York City with the district attorney office. They're going to throw the case out. I get that. But but even just the deterrent of that day could stop what's going on. But right now, it's like a, a snowball rolling down the hill, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now what do we see? All these videos. Who's trying to grab a captain's gun? Who's trying to grab the other guy's gun? Oh, I think famous Richard or whatever that idiot's name was, right? <laughs> he ran people's guns, um, you know, and and like zero fear. And then what, what did we see the other day? We saw the guy who told the police officer who responded to a job, don't park here. This is for motorcycles. Yeah. This is just insanity. I'm telling you right now, the public may be offended by this, but I'm going to speak the truth. Okay. I was a special operations lieutenant. For approximately eight years, I was an anti-crime sergeant for six years. And we dealt with the most violent perpetrators on the streets of New York City, arresting adversaries that possess legal firearms. And when you have someone that is attempting to grab your firearm and you do not take action, you've only emboldened them, eventually they're going to take someone's firearm. And i tell you right now, if someone tries to take my firearm, jokingly or not, they are going to be arrested. I am going to arrest them immediately. If that means a civilian complaint review board substantiates me or the internal affairs has a problem or the inspection unit or any oversight or it doesn't look good, according to Mayor Adams, I don't care. Frankly, I don't care because I care about the safety of the men and women and I care about the safety of the residents of New York City. That's why we took this job, to put others before we put ourselves. I was not a person about self-preservation. 
I was about putting others before I put myself. That's why I had uh, six years in the Marine Corps and a long spending almost 20 years on the streets of New York City to help others. And I would, I would take action immediately, even if that meant another case of charges, because ultimately it's about the police officers that have to take action going further. Because if we do not take action, someone's gun is going to be taken in the future, and eventually it could be turned on them as well. So we have to take action. And if it meant having to deploy a strike, well, that would be it. Whatever is necessary to keep the police officers safe, including myself, so that someone else going forward is safe, we have to take those actions. And I hope that Chief Madry actually believes what he says here. But he said that the cops showed great restraints. What are your thought, thoughts on that? What comes to mind when you hear him say that they, they showed great restraint? How do you feel about that? I mean, show, I don't I don't believe that's a time for restraint. So I think that's a bad message right off the bat. Like they didn't show great restraint there. They actually and they didn't they didn't do it to build relations with the community either. They did it because they're afraid. You know, it didn't that didn't help build relations with the community. I mean, I'm I'm gonna speak just on uh the the video where the cop's gonna do his job and you have a guy who's illegally working on his motorcycle threatening the cop, terroristic threat, acts violent and tumultuous, telling the cop, you don't park here ever. This is for motorcycles when he's dead wrong. I look at the bike. The bike's running. He's not on it, so it's idling. There's numerous violations on that bike. He has cones out on the street. There are, there's about 30 things of why he's coming back to the house and getting a summons, and, and more than likely – there's something wrong with that motorcycle when I run that when I run the VIN and I run the and I run the the license plate on it. More than likely, I'm towing that bike and every other bike on that block too. And what we did is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. A cop got told, "Don't you park here again? We're gonna have a problem." I'm a one percenter. I mean, never would have flew, shouldn't fly. I don't think anyone in the community think that that's okay because again. The woman walking down her block with her children. Is she safe right there when the cop can't park to go do his job to respond to a 911 call? We don't even know what he responded to. Maybe he responded to a baby choking. Maybe he responded to somebody having a heart attack. Maybe he responded to someone that needed help. We don't know what he responded to, but now we're going to have an interaction from a punk telling us where we can and can't park. That's not building relationships with the community. Someone's trying to grab your gun and you don't act. That's not building relationships with the community. That's not showing restraint. That's showing weakness, and that is, is impeding public safety. But again, I blame the management because this should not be acceptable. If that would have happened to me and Eric, we would have been abused, and rightfully so, we should have. Our boots would have been filled with water. We would have been called every name in the book from everyone, and we would have moved on from it and never let that happen to us again. But all of these things are not the messaging is so mixed from the top because we've been politicized. These are political appointments. It has to look good now. And we don't know what it looks good because in every situation, the rules are different and, and we don't know when it looks good and when it doesn't. Maybe because I'm a white guy and I'm arresting a black guy, it doesn't look good. Maybe because I'm a black, big, burly male and she's a, a little female, it doesn't look good. I don't know what that is. I only know what's right and wrong and what the mission is. And it needs to be labeled out. It obviously needs to be labeled out at this point. And this should be talking points that you guys should use. You have one of the largest pulpits in the world 
to talk exactly what the mission of the New York City Police Department, what the public should expect. And you should have the, the public's input in it. I'm not saying that the public shouldn't be in there and saying, oh, that's that's a little crazy or it's not. I don't think anyone's I, I've spoken to many people, many anti-police people, and no one disagrees with me on this point that that there are times, especially in this, that kid should have been arrested and nobody would have had a problem. with it. The problem I find with our weak management and our ineffective leaders is that these statements are double sided. And what we need to see. What makes someone a leader is that they take a stand, they stand on moral principle, and they take a stand on their statement, even if, it's, if it becomes offensive to a group. But it's what's appropriate. And what Ma Chief Mandry says in this video is that, and that's exactly, it's a double-sided message. So where is the vision? How do the troops, and when I say troops, I mean the police officers, the boots on the ground, the men and women that are actually doing the job in the field. What's the message? Is there a clear message? Because this was a double-sided answer. And that's what I'm tired of, of placating to the public to try to appease both sides. So one side, Chief Madry saying, hey, we can't have this. Arrest need to be made immediately. That part I agree with. Arrest, we have to send a message, quell the violence, quell the violence for the future. But then he also said that the police officers showed great restraint and that they're trying to show respect to the public. How are they respecting the public? Who? Which public? The adversaries? They're not respecting the citizens that need to live a quality of life because they need to make those arrests immediately. So, again, this statement is kind of placating to both sides. Just take a stand and say what's appropriate. And if the people that are dousing police officers with water find it offensive, good. We want those people to be offended. We want them to fear the idea of ever doing it again. But obviously we're seeing that's not the case. We have someone that went famous here on TikTok. He goes by the name of Richard, right? He's supposed to be some type of Chicago gang member. And he jokingly ridicules cops by threatening to take their firearms while they're doing pay detail. And I'm not trying to pick on these police officers and this captain here, but look who he does it to. He knows who he can do it to. All of our police officers, men and women, they need to be prepared for battle. They need to be dangerous. They, not, they can't be passed. Because these adversaries in the public, they know and they stiff it out. They know exactly who to do it to. They wouldn't do it to you and they wouldn't do it to me. They know exactly who to, who to do it to. And unfortunately, we're breeding a department of meek, timid, and docile individuals. And given these perps an opportunity to become famous, he's not even afraid. And what's the answer? Well, the NYPD puts out a bolo, which means be on the lookout for this guy because he's going to be placed under arrest. He should have been placed on the rest immediately by that first female captain. She should have taken action right there and then. I don't care if you're scared. You put this uniform on. You represent New York City police. You're supposed to represent the acts of a warrior. Get on that radio and take action immediately. Use that fear to be your friend and overcome that adversary. Yeah, and like I said, if you don't think you can take someone physically, I, I'm not for one-on-ones ever because I, I just think it's so hard. Even if I'm super stronger than you and I'm much bigger than you. I want other people there. Get on that radio. Get on that radio. Get people there. Outsmart them. You don't have to be stronger. You don't have to be faster. You don't have to be in better shape. You have every tool you need. Like I said, you can get a helicopter up in three seconds if you need to. I mean, come on. Um, and again, like, what is the actual messaging? And that's what we're saying is that 
the messaging is constantly switching and these men and women obviously don't know what to do. The omnipresence is gone. And that's what we're seeing, that these people are emboldened. This would have never happened in the 90s, in the early 2000s. It would have never happened pre-Bill de Blasio. If it did, the outcome would be totally different. It would be a totally different video that you would see. It would be a slow motion video of someone getting leg swept and arrested. And they would be, oh, look what these cops did. They were only throwing water. They were only joking. It would be a totally, totally different video. And it should be a totally different video. I mean, the, my problem with the management today is they sweat, whichever way the wind blows. Oh, it's community today. Oh, it's tough on crime today. Oh, no, 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 we're back. Here we should be. This is our mission. Whichever way the wind blows, it is what it is. We stand beside the truth and we say, this is our mission. If at some point we need to pivot, we'll turn it a little bit, right? If at some point it's determined, but we're not doing this. And that's what's going on. The tree is just bending whichever way. You know, that's why the term wet noodle is used a lot of times in leadership because it just bends wherever it's going to go. When we should be standing solidly, this is our mission. And once we have that basis of what our mission is and what's expected of police officers and what's acceptable in society for our police to do, then we can move forward as a police department, as a community, as a city. And that's where we need to be. And if we're not at that, that crossroads yet, because of the insane politics that are in New York City, we need to start having those conversations. I mean, everyone in the upper echelon is friendly with New York City Mayor Eric Adams. I know he gets some pushback from the progressives. I do believe him to be a progressive himself. Um, but like, let's really have these conversations and hash it out, because if we're not, then again, it's it's we're we're following the real left wing maniacs in city council who are clearly trying to abolish the police and shut down our prisons at the same time cheering on political prosecutions and telling us no one is above the law no one is above the law yet we see daily criminals are above the law in new york city because they are being released uncharged by our district attorneys and if our district attorneys don't let them out our judges do and there's a big big problem with that and then on top of that they have the laws set up that came from our state legislator and our city council to protect criminals justice is not being served to all victims and there's a huge disservice being done to the new york city taxpayer and to businesses and to residents and to the children that grow up in new york city so anybody that doesn't like this podcast and for all you people that keep following me that work for the mayor's office or you work for the chief of department's office or you're in here and you're in the community affairs bureau and you're and you're following me if you don't agree with what I'm saying, you're welcome to come on here and talk. Well, we could have a private offline conversation and talk about it. Stop being a bunch of little cowards. Let's speak about it. Well, absolutely. I, I can't agree with you more. And, and ultimately, it just got to the point where I think it's just it's so sad that there's actually people that have actually found it as entertainment to ridicule these police officers and be just become extremely abusive in person. And ultimately, it's for likes, it's for follows on Instagram, Facebook to embarrass these cops. Just the, the ridicule of it is just disgusting that we've gotten to this point. But if this is not something that happened overnight. This is something that's been happening. The latter, it's progressively happening over time. It's getting worse and worse because of an incident like this. It's an incident like this that's just spiraling out of control that 
we've gotten to this point. And eventually, I do believe someone like Richard will have be so emboldened that he'll actually strip a firearm from someone. And I used to use this analogy. I used to tell the police officers when they were new. We used to do orientation. I used to talk to them. And I say what's sad is they, they inject you with this idiot chip. Because if you think before the police academy, you're actually far more intelligent than you are right now. Because you would think in common sense standards. You would think as a normal person. But now you've, you're all you're worried about is liability, accountability. So you're not thinking normal anymore. And now, if prior to this, I would hope and I would assume, even if some of these people are meek and timid and docile and they were, they were presented with an act of violence, and if they were assaulted in, in the manner that they were, that they would take some type of action. But now, because they bear the uniform and they're actually walking away with their heads down, slumped over, because it's almost like disbelief that they're in this position that they had to walk away because they don't know what action they could take. They're afraid. And I, honestly, they're more afraid of legislation than actually their own physical body, which is a shame. They put in, they, we talk about respect. How about our police officers love themselves enough to respect their own bodies that they don't allow themselves to be put in this position? But we got to this point, but they're more afraid of civilian complaint review board oversight legislation than their actual own person. It's sad that we got to this point. No, it's terrible. And I do want to just, I just do want to analyze one thing that you said, that you said, oh, people need to be warriors physically, mentally, emotionally, right? And I think that's another big part of it, right? Like you could be a physical specimen and you could be a aggressive male, but if you don't know the law, if you don't know what you could do, you're completely ineffective, right? Like, what, 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 it, like, what are you good for? Like, oh, you're a big muscular male. You know nothing about the law. You know nothing about the laws that are changing. You don't know how to effectively communicate properly. These are things you also have to build up as a police officer. And I do believe that's another area where we're lacking when we get to the training and when we get to all of that. And I'm not just saying it's lacking in the NYPD. I think it's lacking across. You know, I interact with cops across the country and some of them I'm like, wow, this guy's an idiot. You know, this girl's an idiot. Well, she has no idea what a job is. Or it's like, you know, they don't even know what they're doing either. And I think that's a huge part is to consistently get better. And I'm not saying you're going to do that with two weeks out of the academy. It's something that will build over time. But you should be a conscious, conscientious person to want to know the things you know, how the court process works, how uh, arraignment works, how uh, all every aspect of, of the arrest process work, how the vouchering process works how crime scenes work what happens at a crime scene what are we doing what's the mission of the police department what what do you do in this scenario what do you do in that scenario who do you need to be there what units are required what they aren't i, I mean i think those are all things that will help you to build confidence and be able to speak and present yourself with confidence in public and not only to public but to the, the many critics that you will have while you do this job it's the most criticized profession in the world if you're serving in the nypd it's 100 percent the most criticized profession and anything that there's ever been on the face of this earth and uh, you know so i applaud all you guys and girls that are still out there doing it i really do i give you guys a lot of credit much better than myself um i don't think i, I could i could effectively do it under under the circumstances currently that i'm seeing I'd like to piggyback on what you said. I agree. I used to use this line, and I would talk to my special operations cops, and I would talk to the new cops also during orientation. And I would say this, confidence breeds confidence. And what I meant by that is exactly what you're saying. So to be a warrior, you have to be well-rounded on all aspects. 
intellectually you have to be dangerous as well as physically. So, and I would use this example. If you're doing a car stop, you're conducting this car stop. Obviously, for transparency purposes, we have a body-worn camera, but we also have a nameplate with our shield. So you have a shield there bearing your ID number. You have your nameplate so that the public knows exactly where you are. So in order to be confident, you have to have confidence, right? So if you pull someone over and you ask for the license registration insurance card, you're trying to identify the occupant, the motorist of that particular vehicle, whatever the fraction may be. If it's something, something as, as minuscule as uh, a traffic infraction or you're actually seeking out an illegal firearm, you have to breed confidence. And with that is confidence. So you have to know the laws. You have to know case law. Immediately, sometimes as a deflection, what the motorist or the occupant of that car does is immediately become inquisitive to the police officer and inquire, what's your name? What's your badge number? Ultimately, given the interpretation or perception that a civilian complaint is going to be made, and what happens is if the police officer is not competent, if they don't know case law and they don't know how to be intrusive, then they're going to fold because they're going to be concerned about the civilian complaint oversight that's coming in the future. But if you're confident and you know that you have case law, Pennsylvania versus MIMS, which gives you the right to ask someone out of a car, why? Because that could be tactically better and safer for the police officer taking action. If you're confident to know the infractions, you're confident to know case law that hey, you could search the immediate area of an occupant of that car because that may be lead to a firearm to keep you safe. Confidence brings confidence. Our cops have to be confident. With confidence also comes there has to be good leadership. When there's good leadership and there's a good vision, then our, it, ultimately it trickles down. And our police officers with the boots on the ground will be supported and they'll conduct action in a better manner and being supported. So this weak management, it, it trickles down and it goes to the police officer that lacks the confidence to do their job. They don't know what the vision is. They don't know what to study. They don't know what case law. They don't know what they should be confident about. So it's not just a matter of being confident physically, but if you are confident intellectually, that's also that's going to coincide with your physical manner. You're going to know that, hey, I can ask this person out of the car. And if they do, if they don't comply, well, I can take the next step of action which may be physically actually removing from the car because case law gives me the right to. So confidence brings confidence. It goes together. Absolutely. You know how many times I got called over to a scene and it was like, oh, you know, I, we didn't know what to do. We smell weed and we see something in the car, um, but we didn't know what to do. And you guys are plain clothes, so we can't do that. And I'm like, what the <laughs> And I would rip them to shred, even though I was a cop. I was like, what the hell are you talking about, dude? I, it doesn't matter if I'm in uniform or, or anything, like, you know. Um, so like, you know, there is, there is that aspect you definitely need to know. Um, it's, it's just, you know, I, I do think, listen, I think we're in a bad way. I think the police department's in a totally bad way, but I think that this podcast highlights a lot of things, man. We've been infectious to the New York media on the way that reporting is being done about policing. We've been infectious, obviously, to the police unions about the way they'll represent you, about the way now that they're on social media going out there and pushing back against the anti-police narrative. And I'm proud of them for doing that. We've been we've been infectious in, in where we're able to continue to spread the information and knowledge that we were given from the people who came before us and, and our own experiences. Um, and we've been infectious at the point that you get to hear stories from other people like us from different backgrounds who we've also experienced in this. So, you know, and my, you know, I think I, I got to run to church in a few minutes, so I'm going to start to wrap up. Um, but I do want to say to the PBA, 
listen, I'm not your enemy. If it's Pat Lynch, if it's Corey Grable, I'm not your enemy. Eric's not your enemy. This podcast is not your enemy. We are here to support the men and women. We've been the biggest advocates of police out there. And then my message is the same to New York City Mayor Eric Adams. We could, I mean, I don't think anything that I said when it relates to crime is wrong. And I don't think anything that Eric's saying is wrong. I think that you agree with most of what we say because we clearly see you use tactics and the, the, the strategies that we believe work in the transit system. And it was proven successful. It was proven successful because even when you flooded the trains, you couldn't stop it. You needed to go back to the broken windows theory of policing. So again, I'm not against anybody. I'm, I'm more than happy for successes for everybody. And I think people need to start understanding that we need, we need to start having real conversations. If you're in public safety and you're only there for your own personal benefit financially, you're in the wrong business, you know, and, and it's the same shit in leadership. If you're only there for your own personal gain so that you could get on top of your $200,000 a year pension, you could get another $200,000 a year, you're in the wrong thing. You shouldn't be afraid to say what you believe works. And we're not seeing that currently out of New York City. That's why I started this. That's why me and Erica are talking out. We're not against anyone. We wish the best for New York City. I still own property there. I want to go back there. I'm not done with New York City yet. I might even come back soon. So let's see. You know, let's see where the world leads. I want to say this, right? I, 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 I'm, I agree. I am for broken windows theory. I think it's completely effective. It will bring back the quality of life of residents, and it will curb the illegal firearms and curb the shootings that were happening. But I am. I'm going to say this. I don't believe that we were ready to to initiate broken windows theory back yet. When Mayor Adams came into office, immediately the neighborhood coordination officer, uh, the neighborhood coordination program was starting to get stripped slowly and started to go back to this proactive type of policing. And I said at the time, I agree, that's where we need to go, but we're not ready for that. And I give this example. I always like to do handyman work. Sometimes you paint a wall, and sometimes you throw paint on it, and no matter how much paint you, you, you put on, it's never going to be right. And so what you have to do is scrape off that old paint and go back to that raw wall, prime it, and then put the new paint on. And so that's what I'm saying. That's my correlation to this. We have to strip out the old ideology, the way these police officers were trained on the main Mayor de Blasio, scrape it all away. We need to go back to the foundation and retrain them and get them to a point that they're ready to do broken windows theory because they're not ready, honestly. The police officers at this point, they're not ready. They're not properly trained to do so. They don't have the mindset. They're still in this mindset of hand gestures and, and hugs and kisses. It's a great gesture, but that's not policing. They're not ready to do it. And with that going in order to put paint on a wall, you need a good foundation. You need good sheetrock. You need good plaster. So with that, we're not ready to do broken windows through there with this training. We need good leadership. We need leadership that's going to back them. We need them to put a halt on the Civilian Complaint Review Board. We need to stop with the Standards and Assessment Unit. We need to stop with this Risk Management Unit. We need to stop with all this oversight. And only way to support them is by giving them backbone. That's the only way we can start this broken windows theory. So I'm going to say we're not ready for it yet. Intrusive police work is the most effective police work to stop the crime increase that we're having in New York City. But the only way to get to that point 
is to scrape this all back. And I heard you say it on a talk show. It's kind of what the same thing was saying. Yeah. Is to remove all these policies that have been implemented by Mayor de Blasio and extended by Mayor Adams at this point. Remove them, scrape it out, and we need to go back to the foundation and start again. And that's my message. And that's the only way to help the cops going forward and to help the city and get it back to a point that's livable and a place to be proud of. Absolutely. And use it properly. Use it properly, not as a numbers game. I don't care if the CEO has 50, 250s in that, in that spot or 20 C summons in that spot. Use it. Send the guys that are proactively policing out there into those areas. They'll take care of it. The guys that aren't proactively policing shouldn't be in those specialized units. Bring the specialized units back that we had, right? And you'll make this job. What we're doing to cops now is we're clipping their wings before they ever get out of the nest and we're kicking them out of the nest. They used to say all the time, like, oh, I don't want to clip your wings. I don't want to clip your wings. Like saying, I don't want to take the power that you feel, right? I don't want to take that your ability and your knowledge. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to strip you of your ability to go out and be an effective police officer. But today we're, we're clipping them in their wings. And, you know, there were, there was broken windows theory. Perfect. The way we implemented it, in theory, I believe it's the only crime strategy I've ever heard. Was it the way we used it and, and, and as it evolved and changed, did were there issues? Yeah, but let's identify that and strip it out and make it a better version of itself. I think that's the only way that we could see stuff like this stopping is us actually doing our job, taking our presence back, going to do that intrusive police work again and restoring omnipresence in New York City. I don't believe until that point we, this will be a viable profession. I think the contract's a great step. And it's a, it's a relief. However, I don't believe it's going to stop the exodus. I do think it'll slow it for a bit. I think there's a lot more issues. And what Eric's saying is very correct. The Civilian Complaint Review Board and Disciplinary Matrix are scary, scary things for police officers. And they are afraid to do their job. They're almost frozen. They're out there without wings, without tools on their belt. I'm not saying that's true, but that's how they they feel. Most of that is true, though. Most of compared to when I was a cop, compared to when you guys were cops, it's 100% true. Again, I'm going to say it. I don't believe I could effectively police in this era of policing right now in the current model of New York City of the NYPD. I don't believe you guys could do it. Either. Listen, that's exactly exactly right. It's well said, 100%. I think this is a, if this was a ladder, I would say we're at the first step is a step in the right direction, getting a contract. But moving up this ladder, we need to focus on the next two things, which is civilian complaint review board and the disciplinary matrix. And it's great. It's great to have this great salary. But in order to keep this salary and actually do the broken police work, we need to remove this disciplinary matrix. Forget about even modifying or revamping it. But this thing needs to be removed because if it's not removed, in order for you to go out there and do broken windows there and do intrusive police work, you will find yourself at the butt of termination because of the discipline matrix. And the civilian complaint review board will target you, the complete overzealous, and you'll be on the 50A, and your reflection will be a mirror of my 50A as well. And then you will be unattractive to any other employment in this city and throughout the country because this 50A is public information. It's a stain on your record. It's never going away. Absolutely. Sorry, listen, I got to run. It's good Friday. I got to go to church. Um, yeah. Got to thank God for my many blessings. And uh, you want to end off? You want to leave us with something? Yeah. 
Listen, I want to thank everybody. I want to thank our viewers. I want to thank the public. I want to thank all the support that we found at this point. I, we're getting constant support from people on a, a, a constant basis. Again, text messages, WhatsApp, and Facebook, all kinds of social media. I want to thank you guys. John, I want to thank you for taking this journey with me. We, we are the voice outside to help within. So 265 Police Live brought to you by New York's Finance Return on Filter Podcast, New York City PBA. Congratulations. And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, uh, bash us, fuck him. <laughs>